is knowledge sufficient or does knowledge require any supplement? What are the vitamins required for knowledge to be effective? Advaita says knowledge is sufficient. But what kind of knowledge? It means that living knowledge, that absolute realization, I am existence consciousness bliss. Where I can honestly say it to myself, not just chant a verse or tell others or even explain it. I can honestly say, yes, that's how I feel. That's, how, that's, that's how, what the reality is. I should have the same confidence that Shankara or Vivekananda or Sri Ramakrishna had or Ramana Maharshi had. That, to that point, knowledge must be there. But that knowledge um, seems to be a little different from what he's asking, Abhijit, is that that knowledge, that realization seems to be somewhat different from what we are getting here. What we are getting here is information, arguments, a little bit of Sanskrit, and, then, uh, and a kind of guidance and a pointer. And we intellectually begin to grasp at what is being said. That is true. Practically speaking, philosophically speaking, knowledge is sufficient. Philosophically speaking, as a matter of principle, knowledge is sufficient. That must be said. Otherwise, uh, I would be doing it an injustice. From knowledge alone comes release. Um, even the Bible says, truth will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So, know the truth. But what kind of knowledge? That kind of knowledge, to attain knowledge, what they mean by knowledge in the Upanishads, one requires supplements. The supplements, not that, be careful, not that knowledge requires supplements. We require the supplements. Our minds require strengthening. Sri Ramakrishna, when this kind of Vedanta was being discussed in the Gospel of Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna listens to the discussion and he comments at the end of the discussion. These, this talk is good, but it needs to be assimilated. In Bengali he says, Kothagulo bhalo dharona hawachai. The words are good, but needs to be assimilated. Now, how do you assimilate it? How do you make it a living truth? The question is then, what prevents you from making it a living truth? What are the obstacles? The knowledge itself is fine, but the obstacles are in us, not in the knowledge. Now, what are the problems in us? Problems are threefold, according to Vedanta. One problem is ignorance itself, ajnana. The second problem is the scatteredness of the mind, vikshepa. And the third problem is the impurity of the mind, mala, chitta mala. So three things, mala, vikshepa, jnana. I'm talking about classical Vedanta here. Mala, vikshepa, jnana. Each of these problems, ignorance, distraction and impurity, has its own solution. Solution for ignorance? Always, any ignorance solution is knowledge. How does knowledge come? According to Vedanta through jnana yoga. Listening, reflecting, meditating. Shravana, manana, nididhyasana. You say, but we have been doing that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I've been coming to so many classes and I've got so many notes, volumes of notes and tapes and so and so forth. And recordings. My hard disk is full. The well, hard disk might be enlightened, but you are not enlightened yet. <laughs> Then what is the problem? The problem is, the next level, the mind is not assimilating these truths. We hear it. We even understand it at a superficial level. We can even explain it to others. But it's not living to me. 
my life in the world continues as it was, with the same problems and anxieties and, you know, plus one extra anxiety. I'm not enlightened yet. <laughs> That's an extra anxiety added on. Vedantic anxiety is added to worldly anxiety. And then it continues. So the mind is unable to absorb it because of the distraction. We are a very distracted lot. We really don't know how distracted we are until we try to concentrate. So, distraction, solution, problem distraction, solution, concentration. Concentration, solution, what is the method? The method is meditation. So, a variety, a wide range of meditation techniques, methodologies are available in yoga. Vedanta, for example, calls upon the resources of yoga. If you ask Gaudapada, oh, so I need to meditate, please teach me how to meditate, he'll give you one or two verses. He's not interested. He said he'll give you a referral, meditation specialist. <laughs> you go there. And the specialist also will have co-payment. So, <laughs> so that guy will teach you meditation, how to focus the mind. And start focusing the mind. I have taken mantra diksha or I have got initiated in this way or that way, in one technique or one tradition or the other. I sit for meditation and if I'm honest, one of the two things happens. First, at first it goes well for a few days or weeks. Then two, one of the two things happens. Either I get deadly bored of it and I get distracted or I feel sleepy and fall asleep every time I try to meditate. Why is this happening? I was supposed to get focused. It's not happening. The answer is at the d- even deeper level of the mind. Chitta mala, the third level of impurity, the impurity of the mind. A lot of vasanas, past conditionings and impressions have been stuffed into the mind. The mind is upset. The mind is not itself. So much of garbage we have unloaded into the mind, unthinkingly. See, if you go to the dumpster there, nobody is going to think of, unless it's an insane person, nobody is going to think of putting your hands in the dumpster and taking out something and putting it in your mouth. Even the thought of it makes you feel sick. If you do that, your stomach is going to be upset immediately. But we are reaching into the dumpster of the world and pulling out things and putting it into our minds indiscriminately. How? Through the eyes, through the ears. Whatever somebody says, we take in, especially if it is about me. Something good about me, yeah, I want to listen. Something bad about me, even then I I want to listen. I'm I'm even more interested in listening. about. And about so many things in the world, continuously disturbing the mind by seeing and hearing we are, we are indiscriminate. We discriminate about what we eat. But we indiscriminate about what we eat with our eyes and ears. Ahara is not only with the mouth. Ahara is with the senses also. And there is so much conditioning from past. Which is there. Greed, lust, anger, pride, envy, prejudices, negativities. Crowd the mind. That mind if you try to meditate won't work. So that mind has to be cleaned up. Impurity of the mind and solution in Sanskrit it is called Chitta Shuddhi. You say, ah, what's this great solution? It means nothing more than purity of the mind. <laughs> and how is the purity of the mind accomplished? By uh, Karma Yoga. Unselfish action is a very powerful uh, method for cleansing the mind um, based on, uh, on a, a a mor- strictly moral disciplined life. Basically the message is clean up your life. 
then only you can clean up the mind. With a clean mind and a clean, clear conscience, then when you try to meditate, with a pure mind you try to meditate, the mind gets focused very fast. One Swami said, the pure mind runs to God by itself. It doesn't have to be cajoled and pushed towards God. Sri Ramakrishna says, if you love God and you want God, you will get God-realization. But, you know, we sort of scratch our heads and think, yeah, that's the whole point. How do you love God and want God? I really don't want, I know I should want God or love God, but I don't really love God or want God. How do you do that? That We don't do that because the mind is impure. Sri Ramakrishna says, it's like a needle and the needle is covered by mud. The magnet attracts the needle, needle by its own nature. The magnet attracts the needle by its own nature. The needle's nature is such it will be attracted by the ma- magnet. But because it's covered by mud, it does not. The mud has to be cleansed and then the needle immediately is pulled by the magnet. Meditation becomes easy, fast, natural. With the pure and meditative mind, when you reflect upon Vedanta, that's the idea, that, that flash of illumination, that breakthrough, it comes. It comes. Always, here I'll add one thing. So all of the yogas, bhakti yoga, karma yoga, raja yoga, jnana yoga, all are necessary. Jnana yoga gives that knowledge which will set set us free. But it has to be supplemented by all the yogas. And Advaita does not deny the necessity of all the yogas. Shankaracharya in the Bhagavad Gita, he again and again emphasizes, you must do work. You must do work in an unselfish manner, as a worship of God. You must meditate, you must worship. But ultimately it is this philosophical insight. Really, does anybody say philosophy will enlighten you? Swami Vivekananda clearly says, each soul is potentially divine. The goal is to manifest this divinity within. Do it by, the first thing he says, by philosophy, that is Jnana Yoga. By psychic control, that is Dhyana, meditation. By love, that is Bhakti Yoga. Or work, that is Karma Yoga. By one or more or all of these and be free, that is the whole of religion. Books, temples, doctrines, churches are secondary details. Best definition of religion I have heard. Comprehensive, precise and to the point. So all the yogas are useful. If we do not do all those other things and only listen to Vedanta talks and read books, we will come to the feeling that I have learned something very clever, very intelligent, very, very nice. And yes, I am the original Buddha. I am. Th- it's, but still I am miserable and weeping all the time. What is the use, use of a weeping Buddha? Not a very attractive picture. So the original Buddha should be peaceful and serene and happy. And that's what pulls other people. That yes, this person has found something which will be of use. You know, I have met very uh, swamis who were enlightened. And one feeling I would always get is, I want what you have. Yeah. It's incredibly attractive, this thing. that th- Such a thing is possible. Not only are you uplifted, but everybody else around you is automatically, just by your own presence. Such a thing is possible. But it requires all the other practices too. Thank you. Very good question. Often the way I teach, many people have this question. That um, yes, we begin to get what you are talking about. But it doesn't seem to make a difference in our lives. It seems awfully difficult. It seems difficult because the the 
preliminary practices have not been strengthened. The preliminary practices must go on. But one thing I will stress. Remember, it all boils down to this one breakthrough. You must make the breakthrough and realize that you are this self, this pure consciousness. Even if the, I'll go so far as to say, even if the other preparations are not complete, the breakthrough can still be made. All that you have to do is afterwards you have to complete those preparations again. How does it work? All the other yogas prepare the mind for this breakthrough, for this enlightenment. If the mind is ready, the enlightenment comes. And it's done. Nothing really more needs to be done. But if the mind is not ready, and enlightenment still comes, it's possible. Enlightenment still comes. Then what you need to do is to get the full benefit of that enlightenment. Those same preparations have to be gone through. This has been very nicely analyzed in a text called Jivan Mukti Viveka. The analysis of freedom while living. There, Vidyaranya, the one who wrote Panchadashi, he writes, three things are involved in this Jivan Mukti, the highest ideal of Vedanta, being free while living in this body. Three, three components are there. First is enlightenment. He calls it Tattva Bodha, realization of reality. Tattva Bodha. What is that realization of reality? I am Brahman. I am that Turiyam. I am that Adi Buddha, Adi Shantaha. That is realization of reality. That's first. This must be supported by what he calls Manonasha. Literally it means destruction of the mind. What I spoke about, no mind earlier. Destruction of the mind does not mean you become brain dead. Become a zombie. No. It means the mind will be there. It's fully working. But you realize you are not the mind. It's an instrument. It's an app. An app. (laughs) So the mind uh, is... Something that you use, but it's not you. Manonasha. How is that accomplished? Through meditation. And the third component is called... Um, uh, it, 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 third component is called... Vasanakshaya. That means... It simply means... Literally means decay of desire. Basically, purity of mind. So that's what I just mentioned. Three things. Ignorance removed by enlightenment, distraction removed by concentration, impurity removed by purity. Question. One more point. Somebody may ask, suppose you just said that it is possible to be enlightened and yet other things may not be complete. What will happen to such a person? Vidyaranya discusses this. He says, you may actually get it that you are Brahman. Seriously, in a very deep sense. But if, if the other preparations are not complete, you will not be easily able to manifest that knowledge in your life. Day-to-day living, what you know to be real, what you have already felt to be real, it will be a struggle to manifest that in day-to-day life. It's because the mind is rebelling against that. If the mind is purified and under control, it will immediately manifest your realization. Yeah.